Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Second Act Actors. I'm your host, Dr. Janet McMorty, and I'm still a medical doctor simultaneously trying to pursue a career in acting. My guest this week is Michael Stein. Michael was a actor, writer, director, nightclub promoter turned entrepreneur. He sells tarps, guys, and made a multi-bajillion dollar business out of selling tarps. He's crushing it at this entrepreneur thing. Now back to actor. He's a hybrid of these two things, I would say. Entrepreneurship plus acting. He has an amazing story. This guy, oh, I, if, you'll hear it. This conversation just fuels my, you know, getting pumped up fire about acting and about just, you know, life in general. Okay, technical issues. I was testing out webcams during this time, trying to figure out which one worked best. You will see if you're watching on Instagram, the one that I was using for this interview is not the one that works best. So I apologize. The camera on my side looks terrible. Michael looks great, and that's all that matters. Please enjoy the long shot odds man himself, Michael Stein. And you have such a fascinating life story. So, yeah, tell me it. Tell me your story. Well, uh, you want it specifically pertaining to uh, entertainment and acting, right? Yeah, the acting journey. But also, you've done some other cool stuff as well, some neat business stuff as well. Okay. So, yeah, my, uh, you know, I guess I'll start with the, you heard my bio because I do a, a podcast called long shot leaders. And, uh, because I come from a long line of long shots, I guess myself, my, my grandmother, uh, and I come from a long line of entrepreneurs. So my grandmother escaped the Russian concentration camps on her way to America. Her dad was owned one, uh, uh, the only, he was like Willy Wonka. He owned one of the confectionery factories in Kiev and he had to leave all that cause they were killing Jews before the Germans were. So then they were, they left all that. And, uh, my dad entrepreneur, he, uh, had, um, a business in the late sixties with a guy with a tool business, but that wasn't doing so well. So he, he sold calculators in Canada in the early seventies, left that tool business and he became known as the calculator kid, made millions of dollars. And then he had a crazy like lifestyle of sex, drugs, and disco in Los Angeles and, uh, orgy parties and just went through his money. That guy, particularly that he was a partners with in sixties, the tool business, he ended up starting a company called Harbor Freight, multi-billion dollar company, publicly traded. And, um, I grew up around that atmosphere. So I was, uh, always wanted to do three things, you know, um, one is, was, uh, when I was a kid was survive, uh, because yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd sleep in the same room with my grandmother until I was nine years old. Cause my dad, the one thing my mom kept was that home in Encino and he, there was no money around, but we lived in a, a rich neighborhood. So I had to be, you know, stay in the same room with my grandmother and hear that story of survival. Mm-hmm. So, but basically be an entrepreneur, be an actor and a stand-up comedian. Cause I had the ADHD and the dyslexia and all that. And the way I was, you know, dealt with that was by trying to be funny. So, um, I, uh, grew up around entrepreneurship and being the entertainer, being the youngest in the family. And those two things kind of worked hand in hand. And, um, I became a successful nightclub promoter in Los Angeles in my early twenties, uh, number one in my bracket, uh, under my age bracket. And through that, I was able to segue, you meet a lot of friends. And one of the friends I met my first acting job was meeting, Paul Anderson, now Paul Thomas Anderson, who 
been nominated for many Academy Awards. His first project was called The Dirt Diggler Story. And um, he and I became great friends. I drove him home one night from our, my girlfriend and his girlfriend were uh, sisters and um, had him rolling one night. And he goes, you know, two days later, he calls me up and says, look, man, I got an idea for a short film. It's about the rise and fall of a porno star named Dirt Diggler. And I said, all right, sounds good to me. <laughs> Let's do it. So uh, a couple of weeks later, we started talking about the story and we did other projects leading up to it. Like a couple months later after that, you know, we started filming the Dirt Diggler story. That was my first acting role. And from there throughout, you know, you know, being friends with Paul, we were friends, best friends for a long time. Did I see this ebb and flow of what, how he got started? I left my nightclub business and tried to become a, a filmmaker and actor for a time and uh, wrote, directed, produced uh, documentaries and short films and did really well. Uh, one of my short films uh, made uh, second pass live action short for the Academy Awards and got me uh, bought by HBO and uh, got me movie de- uh, meetings around Hollywood for my other screenplays, but just didn't turn over to a movie deal on this long tour to France of trying to make it in Hollywood of, you know, playing some other parts here and there and trying to make other films, you know, put myself in the film, you know, to get, you know, roundabout way. You know, I finally said, fuck Hollywood, man. I'm going to, you know, make my own movie. But by this time, all my money for my nightclub business was gone. All the money I put into films, you know, was maybe in debt and broke. So I said, I'm going to become an entrepreneur again. And I wanted to do something on the internet. This is in 2000. So I started a company that has nothing to do with the movie industry. It was, you know, uh, sell tarps and pop-up tents. Those pop-up tents as a production assistant, when I was a production assistant, I used to put up these pop-up tents for craft service and uh, for video village and all that. And I would sell those things too. And uh, the business took off. So within, you know, a year I, I wrote, directed and produced a movie called Love Hollywood Style with Andy Dick and Coolio and Faye Dunaway. And I was acting against a two-time Academy Award winner, uh, Faye Dunaway. It was only because I made enough money to make that movie and I almost bottomed out my business making that movie. And that's when I stopped, you know, my tour de France, you know, experience in Hollywood. And I said, this business is doing so well. I want to nurture this business. And I chose that choice between passion and opportunity. And I decided I'm going to go for opportunity. I'm going to build this business, but I always have the intention to go back and act and do stand-up comedy, which I've always done. I've done stand-up comedy since I'm 19. And um, I'm always going to go back to do that. But right now, my second act is going to, it's going to be my third act. My, my second act is my business. And my first act was being in entertainment. But I have every intention to do a third act, which is going back to entertainment once I'm, you know, uh, have a financial and uh, a business goal for my um, business that I've grown, you know, ever mm-hmm. since. When you were a kid and having that survival instinct kind of drilled into you from incredible family story, holy crow, were you ever pushed to not be creative? Because that's a very like illogical career path for most people, right? And, and I'm saying that based on very personal experience saying, come on, the best way to survive is to make money in this country. And the only way to do that is a stable career. And that's not the arts. <laughs> I like that question. That's a very high level consciousness question because you're, you're empathizing with, you know, what really is nuts and bolts of people, because that definitely is what happens. So 
a couple things. Uh, my survival was like, you know, was like my, my hearing my grandmother's story or my dad was a homeless New York street kid that, you know, was lived on the streets when he was eight years old, or I was an oops baby, uh, you know, like the, in a large family. And, uh, my mom would, you know, say this to everybody, you know, I was growing up, say, you know, my son wasn't planned. I ran up and down the stairs. I drank, I smoked, you know, I did, you know, and I was like, mom, you don't have to tell everybody about that. You could just order the ranch or the blue cheese and just, you know, kind of like, you know, continue without saying that. But I would grow up around those, but she would say that out of love, like, look how much I love him now. So, um, that was a part of survival is like, look, just to stay alive, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for life. Then growing up in LA, born and raised in Encino. I grew up, I used to play handball with Janet Jackson or I would, you know, hang out with, you know, Jermaine and play basketball at Encino park or a lot of, you know, stars. You, you grew up around that. And then you feel like this con this conscious way of saying, well, what do you want to do? It's like, well, I want to be a stand up comedian. Ever since I saw Jackie Gleason, I'm smoking in the bandit. You know, I want, or seeing Rocky, I want to be, do what those guys do. But then you feel like shit because you're like, well, everybody wants to do that. It's like, yeah, I don't want to do that. I was just joking around, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you feel guilty for wanting to do those things. So you, and then also money was such a big thing because, you know, hearing stories of how your great grandfather was successful, then it was taken away. And then your dad was homeless and then he got, he became a multimillionaire, but then he lost it all. And, you know, by the time, you know, I, I made all this money as a nightclub promoter and then I decided to go for passion. And then I lost all my money too. I was like, I don't want to do that. So yeah, it became a big thing. Those, those factors do play a part of your psyche. And those were my decisions. Mm -hmm. Where did you have family influences or friend influences? I know obviously growing up in LA, you're surrounded by creative individuals, but was there someone or something that really kind of drove that creative push for you? Because the jobs that you did, I mean, obviously acting is very performative, but I would expect, and obviously stand up, like being a nightclub promoter and an entrepreneur is very performative too. Like you have to network and be on stage, kind of. Yeah. So, uh, you know, mom and dad, just like, you know, my mom looked like Marilyn Monroe. There's a picture right behind you. See that lady right there? That's my mom. She looks like Marilyn Monroe a little bit. And the good looking guy over here is my dad, who's like a movie star, you know, kind of, you know, personality. But there's Don Rickles over there. And the reason why I put him is, is because my mom had the same personality as Don Rickles. I mean, I grew up with this kind of fast, kind of like, you know, response. And because I had a dyslexia and ADHD, my brain would think faster. I went to a lot of psychologists and therapists and they say, your brain's thinking faster than your lips will mm -hmm. follow. But growing up with, a, a, especially a mother like that, who was very sharp and quick, um, it, you know, you would stumble, I would try to catch up with to her. So long story short there is those, those are my influences because to try to be as funny as my mother or as cool as my dad or, you know, and then of course, growing up in LA, you know, even before I'd say the biggest influence is watching someone like eventually I already wanted that interest, you know, to be an entertainer stand up. But by the time I became friends with people that really succeeded, like Paul Thomas Anderson, that watching that master metastasize in a good mm -hmm. way, watching that process I was like, Holy shit, this could really work yeah. because I, I felt like, you know, here's an interesting part. I was doing, uh, extra work on a movie called lesson zero. And I said, Oh, look, there's Andrew McCarthy and there's a, and um, there was a Robert Downey Jr. And I was like, yeah, that's a guy from weird science, you know? And I was like, I want to go talk to those guys. But I was hanging out with this good looking extra for like three days. And I remember he showed me his resume and he worked more days than I did on as an extra. And I said to my friends, these poor guys come out from like Missouri. 
he's like a good looking guy and he's so nice and they never make it. And then like three movies later, I realized this guy that I became like best friends with on the set. He didn't show up to my nightclub because I was promoting my first club on that set. It was Brad Pitt, <laughs> you know? And I was, and I, and I was like, holy shit. I was like the, you know, you just don't believe that things happen sometimes because you're around it so much. And you see, I've seen all ends of the spectrum of the industry. And later on, you know, I always said to myself, uh, for another friend of mine uh, named Brad Fleischman or Bradley Craig, he was on standby me. And I remember in 1986, I just got done with high school and I was like, I saw his credits. He was in the movie, you know, and he had a good part with uh, Keith or Sullivan. who's one of the bad boys. And I said, if I just knew one of those names, he got his name in that credit. If I knew one of those names then I can get into Hollywood also. And it helps to know people. But even then I, I became best friends with one of the biggest directors in Hollywood history my girlfriend at the time was Peter Goober's uh, dad, you know, uh, Elizabeth Goober, her dad was Peter Goober. He was the most powerful man in Hollywood. And you go through this ebb and flow of like when you're young, you know, of like, do I want to have a, um, uh, you know, first of all, am I using somebody mm -hmm. that, that works on you? I don't want to let them know I want to be an actor because I don't mm -hmm. want to feel like I'm, I'm mm -hmm. using them. And then by the time that you realize, no, I deserve something. I have my own. Well, you know, I deserve this. Then you start asking for things and you realize, no, people are not going to give it to you. Not always either. So then you get like this ebb and flow of like trying to, you know, find a balance of what, what is right? What is wrong? Where do I stand here? How do I play this out? How do I, how do I negotiate these things? You know, and that whole thing was, um, my understanding of like, is this possible? Do I deserve this? All that has to do with, you know, discovering where do I stand with this? Cause I'll, I'll, I'll name drop the last, you better, you could put your broom away after this, after I drop all these <laughs> names. But one of my best friends, uh, who's been on a podcast, Chris Peters, his dad's John Peters. And, his dad and him don't talk. And I'm thinking, well, that's the son, you know, and John Peters is still one of the most powerful producers in Hollywood. But even then, you know, you have to find, you can't hold grudges and there's a whole dynamic emotionally, I guess, is what you're asking. You know, what's the, what's the emotion attached to towards succeeding or, or trying to, you know, how you feel about, you know, is it, why do you believe in these things and how you're trying to get there? All those things are connected. It's like, it's a, you got to try to, you know, uh, it's a long journey and um, trying to understand it is a, is a long journey. I, I, I advise people all the time. They say, I want to get involved as an actor or, you know, as a comedian or a filmmaker. I said, take personal, take courses in personal mm. development. Well, and I think it must be really tricky, especially well anywhere in the industry, in trying to almost prove that you're a genuinely nice person. Because like you were saying about how many people have their guard up because they think you are going to try and take advantage of them or you're only after them to try and get into Hollywood. And because there are probably so many people out there who are. So how do you, I guess I'm looking for advice for people, make genuine connections in an industry that is rife with not that. Oh my God. See, these are good questions. This is okay. So here's the thing. I would say that you have to, don't be who you think you should be. You need to be yourself. You need to find that truth that let that be your guiding light. And you need to have a stream of consciousness of life. First of all, figure out who do you want to be and who you don't want to be. 
and then hold your ground on what that is. Make sure that it's a good choice. And what is a good choice? Well, you know, in a roundabout way of the triad of good choices, is it good for me? Is it good for you? Is it good for the greater good? And let that be your guiding light. Once you, that's why I say take personal development, because once you start to understand yourself, you're going to need to, that's going to help you with getting into Hollywood. Now, as we see like Johnny Depp and, you know, heard right now, like battling each other in the court, he's like, well, Johnny doesn't do that. He's a screwed up son of a bitch. And look, that's beside the fact that's in spite of, you know, I'm just saying, if you want a better chance to capitalize in this industry and, 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 and be cognizant of what you're talking about, an industry that has a culture that can be pretty dysfunctional or it doesn't mean that like there's guys like Ron Howard, you know, you just know that's a good guy, you know, just know like he's, I don't know. It's something that just tells me he's not affected like the other guys are, but there's, there is a predominant kind of culture. So know who you are and take inventory of that and don't hold grudges and try to always let your guiding light being the best you can be and being natural, finding that that's what I would tell myself a long time ago. I was like, yo, bro, you're, you're a young guy. You're going to want a knee jerk reaction towards this or that. You're going to be scared. Then you're going to be confident. Then you're going to be overly confident to, you know, you got to find equilibrium. What's your guiding light should be know who you are, what you want, make good decisions and, and being a source of happiness for yourself and others and, and hold yourself with integrity. All those basics that you need to turn into physical knowledge is not conceptualized. Yeah. And that's, I think that comes so much from life experience because, and that, and I hear that a lot from these, what I call my second act, second act actors, right? Like people who've lived a life prior to wanting to go into acting. And again, I'm speaking from very personal experience that I know me and me in my late teens, early twenties, and even into my thirties didn't know herself at all. And it took my other jobs for me to realize who I now am. And that just comes with great wiseness and maturity and life experiences. So sometimes I think it takes that. But for you, like, how did you develop that? What is I think a really great life philosophy? Where did that come from? Real quick, that's a beauty of your show, by the way, because you touch upon something in your show is that you talk about, you know, the second act, you know, acting is about selling emotions for dollars. I studied with Eric Morris, who's written 13 books. He's a great acting teacher. He's a disciple of uh, Strasburg and those guys. And, and, and basically you, you need to understand the emotional content. So when you get a written piece and you get a script, you have to understand the parallel, parallel circumstances between what the writer was writing and then how you could apply that to the emotional needs that you're going to bring to the piece. So in order to, for that to happen, your understanding of life, you know, cause that was a young actor's thing. I'd get a script and was like, I don't understand what the fuck this is about. Yeah. And it's understanding what the story or the piece is about so you could bring the emotional content and the believability there and then make good choices and dynamic choices, you know, how, you know, it works with, you know, whether you believe in Stella Adler, which is more, you know, recreation or, or Strasbourg, which is more sense memory. Either way, you know, you have to have an understanding of what has happened like that in your life in the past that you could bring to the piece and all, and then also what can you recreate? Both of those things are dependent upon life experiences and, the, and, and, and them taking that. That's why it's so weird people are so into archetypes. And when you work this other job, you know, it's like, well, that's who you are now. You're the police officer. Like, no, that guy could still be a great actor. He's been studying acting all this time and he's been a police officer and that's his passion. Who's to say that like, he's not as good as Robert De Niro, you know? So we all have these archetypes and silly beliefs. So how's that improving? I'm I would say once again, personal development as an actor, especially, uh, and continue to study acting, continue to watch as many films as you can understand the filmmaking process and then understanding what 
you as a person and then, and constantly, how does that, per, how does that pertain to the written piece, you know, uh, in the script and what, how would you deliver that? How do you interpret those things? All that's really important, uh, you know, and, 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 uh, that's how things have changed, you know, from a young actor to an older actor. I think older actors are so much better than younger actors, unless, a case like Faye Dunaway, I love her, but she had to use uh, hold cards when I acted with her, you know, like De Niro and um, or, uh, uh, Brando and Godfather mm. One when he held the, the the piece of paper on his chest because these guys were like, eh, it's a, it's a smaller film. I'm only getting paid a certain amount. I'm not going to, you know, that, you know, but that aside, these older people, I think older actors make better actors. I think you get better, you know, unlike stand-up comedy, which is more timing, stimulus response and trying to be fast, you know, which I think your brain's a little sharper. I definitely think that uh, acting is better with age. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, I think absolutely. Does. And ha- has there been anything that you've noticed that's either different or surprised you now that you're coming into acting again after kind of ebbing and flowing through it? Yeah, you know, um, one is there's, as far as the business, you know, there's a lot more opportunity, you know, um, in the sense to get work. But the work, the, but the work is not like, um, it's more, there's more parity in the industry now. So there's a lot more work, but like, let's say you got a job back in the day and like, you know, my day, like, let's say the midnight, early nineties, right. It's like, holy shit, you got a, you got a part in a movie. You're going to be able to segue that into more movies a lot because that's really great exposure. But as where now, you know, there's so much more parity and you can see a lot more actors out there and the pool's so big that they're not going to get, they might not get necessarily some work after that. It's, it's harder, you know, but it's easier to get some work, but it's harder to get work after you would, you, it would be easier to get work once you had a decent part in a movie and you could play that and ride that wave a little easier. So those are the things that have changed there and nothing's changed with, um, you know, with TikTok and, 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 and Instagram and, and that, it seems like a lot of people are getting opportunities that don't have yeah. the craft because the, the funnel that you'd have to go through back in the day, your craft. And there was also something in the seventies coming out of the seventies and eighties, you know, struggling and going to Joe Papp theater and, you know, you know, maybe doing a off, off Broadway play on Wooster street with uh, William Defoe's, you know, Wooster's players and all that was nitty and gritty and dark and cool. And now it's like, nah, I did a TikTok and I'm getting play off of that. And like, I got casted for this and you suck, but you know, that's all right. I, I, I really don't care. I mean, I, I, I don't have rules. I, that's another thing. You can't be bitter. It's like, but that's awesome. You got a job and you, but you know, other, I think that that's the differences that yeah, happen. Now. It's funny. I was chatting with somebody a couple of days ago regarding like YouTubers and TikTok, and again, it makes me feel like I'm like an old lady. But she was saying she produced a film, and she was a, a producer on it, and had no decision making at all in the cast, and they casted a very very famous YouTuber and didn't know how to act lovely person but didn't know how to act and their movie was not successful and they were like we thought it was going to be such a success because she's so famous on youtube it's like well one she can't act and two people who watch youtube don't go to movie theaters they watch their content on youtube and it was like this eye-opening thing for this production house being like oh like yeah that's where i think this is where it will end, right? The ending of YouTubers and TikTok, like their audience doesn't go to movie theaters. They don't sit down and stream Netflix. They'll stream YouTube. So yeah, it's not going to work. It's not sustainable. 
Yeah. You know, it's so, that's a great subject also because I have a 16 year old daughter and a 13 year old daughter and they're like, I'm like my 16 year old, her film acumen, because I'm like, we've been watching, she took, took to it really well. And I've, she's seen like on the waterfront when she was like five and that's good parenting. You know, and I, I have, (laughs) (laughs) I just, she digs it, man. We like, you know, we just watched one flew of the cuckoo's nest and she analyzed it afterwards for like 45 minutes. But, you know, the reason why I bring this up is she goes, she goes, Dad, on the other side, she goes, Dad, you understand, my, the big stars in my world are not the actors, you know? She, they are for her personally, but her world that she hangs out with, she's like, no, she's like, there's, there's, there's influencers, you know, there's, there's that, that part of the pool has taken it as to where in the, in the day, you know, you know, I could, I could name everybody or every Academy Award winning film since 1967, since, you know, I was born to, to let's say 1989. But that, cause that was like, that's a thing, but now it's not so much because there's so much content and so it's been spread out. And I'm saying that's bad. I'm saying the world's just shifting yeah. into different things. There's always going to be acting. There's always going to be movies. There's always going to be, but the pie is getting kind of mixed up in a little thing now with, you know, with like stranger things is taking a big portion of like, you know, that market share for like those kids at that age, instead of going to the movies, it's not always going to be only Spider-Man. And, and, and there's so much in YouTube and all, and TikTok and all the different directions. There's only a certain amount of hours a day. So it's all getting a lot more opportunity for everybody, a lot more parody, a little more dilution. And we're going to have to see where everything kind of shifts out in the next 10 yeah, to 20 it's years. Be fascinating. I think I'm excited to be part of it. <laughs> Is, yeah, is there absolutely. anything that you've noticed that you've been able to bring in from your prior careers into now your acting career? Besides everything. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's all inner interrelated, yeah. you know, so everything, you know, it helps my entrepreneurial career. I mean, I've grown a business, you know, for 22 years now, I started this business to make a movie. And it's, I've, you know, how you, how you deal with, you know, um, business, how I, I, I could, I produce my own commercials for my business. Um, I, I didn't want to be a filmmaker, but I wanted to be an actor. So I made films so I could act in my movies and that taught me how to be a writer. And now I write all my content and I, I, all this stuff is interrelated. I really wanted to be a stand-up comedian before I did anything else and how to win friends and influence people. I do that through stand-up comedy, you know? So all these things are like juggling and you get better at all of them unless you just you drop them. I don't drop anything. Like even now I don't do stand-up going to be doing stand-up, you know, soon, but I'm, I'm building a big business and it keeps on growing. So I have a plan on an exit strategy and how that's going to look and what we're doing next. So I'm planned out. But at the same time, you damn well better believe I'm like, I'm like recording jokes on my iPhone when they come up or something. I'm building a, a library. I'm, I'm strategizing for what's, what I'm going to do after certain mm-hmm. chapters and all of these things help each other. So I, there's everything I can get specific, but like, you know, management, you know, producing films, you know, is no different than producing a business, you know, production on, on a, on a movie, the more you prepare, likewise with acting, likewise with stand up comedy, success, not just that, you know, Eric Morris is in his book, no acting, please. Let's say 95% of acting is, uh, is preparation. 95% of success is preparation. And for an ADHD guy like me, it took me a lot. I found out I had that like later on in life. I was like, holy shit. Every time I like overprepared, I was more successful, you know, because everything was, you know, strategized and put in the right place. So they all help each other. And, uh, that's why, 
there's one rule that people also that, you know, anybody that's working out there, people that listen to your show, people are driving right now going, I'm doing that, but how am I going to do this? It's like, when you learn how to do all these things, don't worry about, you know, the archetype of what you're supposed to be. They're all interrelated. So you could work as being a police officer just as hard and that will help you strategize one day, you know, your acting career or filmmaking or being a singer or whatever it is, because it's all about execution, time plus effort, and then preparation. And, and, uh, the more, you know, you understand on how those processes work, it'll help, you know, your, your, uh, entertainment career. I love that because I think, well, I know as actors, we get a lot of advice from a lot of people, you know, good and bad, well-intentioned or not. But the most common piece of advice I've gotten as someone who has another job from people who are just career actors is how can you expect to be a successful actor when you've got your feet in two different buckets and you're trying to balance those two? If you're trying to balance that, one of them, my medical career, I'm a doctor, or my acting career, one of them is going to not get as much attention and then falter and fail. I don't know what your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I have a, that's a great thought. I think about all the time. It's wonderful to really be able to do a hundred percent. You know, I, I look at other comedians like, you know, cause I did a, my last stint to comedian, I was still doing my business and it was still growing crazy, but it was, I think it was like 2010, 2011. I was, performing at the belly room, the comedy store, like consistently. And I'm getting fucking great. I mean, somebody drops a glass. I got 15 comebacks. I mean, the, I see the pitches coming and they're, they're like 95 mile hour fastball seems like it's like 40 miles. You know, when you get good at a craft that yeah. things slow down, right? Things were, you move fat and it slows down. But, and I was like, you know, if I, I could either go on the road, I got two kids, family's a priority for me. Cause I didn't grow up with that. So then I could either take that route and I craft it. My craft is going to get even better and better because why wouldn't it? But you do have to sacrifice that. There is something to be said about that. But you do what you can do and you try to do as much as you can with the greater good and the overall goal. You know, you don't want to say, well, I don't know. You, I'm, I'm a big believer in dates. So I think that you should definitely give yourself deadlines and certain things for, you know, uh, if it, whatever your goals are. And um, I think that there is a compromise there, though you know, when you can't spend as much on your craft, um, that it's going to fail. So it's up to you, you know, if you're a doctor, you know, it's up to you at nine o'clock at night to do something every day to stay connected, to get your reps in, to make sure that your instrument is still somewhat in tune. Might not be as tuned as let's say, you know, Dustin Hoffman starving on Lower East side when he was in his early twenties, you know, only doing acting, but it still could be at the best it could be, you know, and that's what you mm-hmm. got to go Absolutely. for. Absolutely. And that recognition of <laughs> this is your choice. Like you can, you, this is your life. You can choose to be an actor and a doctor or an actor, and entrepreneur, or you can be one or the other. Like that's the best part of living where we live in this society. We have that privilege and the luxury. So if one thing's failing in your mind, I don't know, do something about it. <laughs> And you know what's great about that and great about your show? You keep on doing what you're doing, and that'll hopefully change the archetype. And one day when you go on an audition and they say, well, you're older and you've only been doing this for how long? I said, no, I've been doing this for a long time. I've just been doing other things. People are like, okay, I get that, as opposed to the archetype, which I don't know if we'll ever get over archetypes, you know, and what people expect out of, you know, that person should be like this. Or like... I love Daniel Day-Lewis. He's amazing. Is he, is he the greatest walking actor that ever lived? I mean, I think he is, but is there somebody, there's gotta be somebody else out there that could be a nurse, you know, 
who's like studied acting since they were five until they were like 22. And now they're doing something else, but they, they, they constantly, and they're going to try it again, maybe when they're 48 now, and then they're going to do it two years straight. Who's to say that person is not just as good in hitting a 10 on a scale of one to 10 as Daniel day Lewis is, but our archetypes, I believe in archetypes and how, how we think things should be is what, and stereotyping and, and, uh, you know, typecasting that that's, that yeah, happens. Absolutely. It, and I think I always get told, like, you have to find out what your type is and then push that to its advantage because there are so many of us in this industry trying to get into it. You know, like I rarely, if at all, will get cast as the doctor because even though I am one in my real life, I don't look like the archetype that people are used to on television of like an older white male doctor. But okay, yeah, I look like a 40-year-old bit tired soccer mom. I go even though I'm none of those things except for t- except for I tired. So. Um, I, I go out for those roles all the time. So, yeah, I guess it's yeah. like should we be taking should we just be taking ownership of that or do we need to change that? That's a great question too. I like these questions because you're, you're tuned into like all the psychological dynamics that, you know, you, cause it's, you know, seriously. So, well, you know, the thing is, is that there's two things. One is like, there is some science to that, you know, it's like, you're not going to yeah. change people with wine and that, that, that tendency yeah. is never going to change. So you really need to figure out where do you really stand? Cause you got to want to be cognizant of who you really are or the type of product that you are, or what, how you would be cast. You know, you're certain things you're just not yeah. going to be casted for. So you need to be cognizant of that. At the same time, my modus operandi is to say a long time ago, I made a decision and said, look, whatever you are, you need to find a dig for that shit and you need to bring it out and just be transparent and where the chips fall, that's where they, they fall. And I don't care how cool it is or how, like, I don't care what, you know, you just need to, and how, or or sometimes how embarrassing it is, you know, there's, there's great actors. Oh, here's another name. Uh, Vincent Gallo, who Buffalo 66, who made me throw up in the lower show one time. He's a vicious (laughs) bastard. Um, he, I believe that he's always so worried about being cheesy. And if Vincent hears this, Hey, fuck you. I love you. Last time I saw it, we get along great. But, you know, he's a, t- he's a tough cookie, so he can handle this. Sometimes, because he's such a cool dude, I'll say that, but he's so cool and he's so avant-garde and he's so New York and he's so that guy that sometimes you got to be careful because the power of the cheese, you got to be careful because sometimes you don't want to be, you're, you're trying to be so not cheesy that mm. it's kind of cheesy how cheesy you're mm-hmm. trying to not be. You know, um, so I, I think that, you just need to, my other half of me is you got to be yourself, whether you're worried that it's embarrassing or not, you don't have time for that shit. You just got to give it up and, and find the truth in yourself. At the same time though, the other end of that is you got to market yourself and you got to figure out who are you because you can't, you don't want to waste your time going in directions that you're not supposed for to be sure. in. Yeah. This is a business. Yeah. Do you have a crazy, funny or memorable onset story? Well, um, <laughs> Here's one. I think about it all the time because you know those inversion tables that yeah. uh, that uh, yeah. you use for your back. So and, <laughs> I was just thinking about this. I don't know. It just popped in my head. I didn't. I didn't plan for these questions, but I, I was hanging upside down this morning, and I hang upside down every day. Sometimes twice a day because it's good for your back and your neck, right? Released, you know, for the vertebrae. So I ooh, and Dirt Diggler's story. There's a part where. Um, 
that girl, Rusty Schwimmer, she was in Twister. She was in a lot of movies. She played, uh, she played a candy girl in um, the Dirt Diggler story. And uh, I had Dirt Diggler had to go on an inversion table, you know, and hang upside down while she's standing over him. So you could picture the, 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 the situation here. So when I'd never been on a diversion table that time and I'm sitting there and I'm about to fall off, you know, cause I don't feel like I'm strapped in heavy enough. I got my, I got long hair at the time. My hair's like upside. It's like dragging on the floor and I'm like about a, you know, like long hair. I'm like about a foot away and I feel like I'm going to fall off and I'm like sitting there screaming. And then this guy, Art Morganson, who's a, an actor, uh, character actor, you've seen him. I said, I think I'm going to fall. He goes, we don't really give a fucking shit. Just do the damn scene. <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking, well, uh, this is not a, this is just a little, this is a little video, you know, independent film thing. But, uh, I guess that's what Hollywood's like. Who gives a shit? Just do your shit, you know? And i I look back on that and go, why was I making such a big deal about that? But I never hang upside down before. So that was the first time I hung upside down. And every time I hang, I hang upside down from my back, I'm at, I think of that. So that's one of the funniest things I, think, I guess I can mention. Is there anything that you are looking forward to this year? Anything coming up for you? Well, I'm an entrepreneur right now. So one of the things I'm looking forward to is I'm launching a new brand at the end of the year. It's called Bolator. And uh, it's hopefully it'll define its industry the same way like Yeti defined the cooler. So it has nothing to do with Hollywood or entertainment, but uh, it's uh, basically a, a backpack that turns into a, uh, it's also a soft cooler that turns into a tarp that turns into something else that turns into something else. It's really cool. And, uh, and, uh, we've got a whole line of that coming out. So that's like something I particularly this year that I'm, I'm really looking forward to. And, uh, I'm going to be shooting the commercials for that. It's like, ah, oh, it's good. I get to, you know, do some filmmaking and acting and that. So that's really fun. I'm looking forward to doing that. But, uh, the other thing is that I promised my friends, I keep on saying this, but I promised my friends that I would start doing stand up again and uh, pushing it back to the end of the year when I'm done with the, the launch of this product line. Cause there's no excuse because a, uh, comedy club, on Thursday nights just opened up. I live in Georgetown, Texas, by the way, I'm not oh, in LA right now. I, I moved out to Austin. Yeah. Just in Austin. I'm North of Austin, nice. about 25 minutes. Uh, and coming from Encino, living out in the country where I do, it's like, uh, we do want to talk about a fish out of water story, but anyways, um, I'll, I'll be doing stand up nice. again. So that, that'll That's be fun. fantastic. Any final kind of words of advice or words of wisdom for anyone thinking about getting back into acting or starting acting kind of, after a first act career? Well, I would say, you know, prepare, strategize, you know, I know you're not some, any people listening out there and might not be friends with spreadsheets, but like I would actually take an Excel spreadsheet. I'd be very methodical about it. And I'd say, okay, here's my date. Well, I, I drop dead date that I really want to do this, but then also think about the scope of work that you have to do. It's like, I got to get in shape for acting. I got to start studying. I got to do this. I got to get pictures. I got to get a resume. I got to get this. This is my strategy. This is where I'm going to go. I would put all these dates down on a milestone mm -hmm. spreadsheet. I'm not asking you to be a business person, but I'm asking you to like, just kind of strategize a plan, get scope first. Then before, you know, even as you're doing this process, Truly ask yourself, how serious do I want to be able to do this? How much am I going to convict towards this? And get your mind and your body and your emotions attached towards what you're visualizing. Because it's going to take a lot of attrition to, in this business because you're going to drive 25 minutes to the audition or you're going to do, you're going to do an audition tape now. Then nobody drives auditions. You're going to do, you're going to submit your, 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 uh, your file, you know, of your audition, you know, you're going to take time to learn the sides and all that. And you're going to invest some time and you're going to do the, what do they say? 30 to one ratio that 30 audition, you know, to one, they should expect 30 auditions for one job. 
that's pretty high, but you know, that's what they, that's, I've always heard that. So be prepared for that emotionally prepare. And then, um, you know, just, you know, don't give yourself excuses, go for it. And, um, and don't keep rules for yourself, you know, and, um, be prepared for the pain <laughs> rejection, the pain, you know, oh, the pain I'm talking yes, about, right? Absolutely. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, and thank you, Michael, for being my guest this week. I am so sorry about the webcam issues. That is not the correct one to be using. I have found it. It's the one, currently, that I'm using now. Anyways, thank you, Michael, for sharing your inspirational long-shot story with us. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a busy guy. I hope you will all tune in next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. Bye! Second Act Actors is produced and edited by me, Janet McMorty. Theme music by Guillaume. Additional sound editing by David Studio. Additional video editing by Jackie Wadewer. Show notes written by Sarah Hopkinson. I record using Riverside FM. If you're interested in developing an interview-based webcast like mine, I highly recommend this platform. Shoot me an email and I'll direct you to the wonderful folks there. If you or someone you know is interested in being a guest, email me at secondactactors at gmail.com. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. My love language is words of affirmation, so compliments, constructive criticism, and feedback are always welcome and encouraged. Negative Nancys, Judgy McJudgersons, or Debbie Downers, unless you're Rachel Dratch, regarding me or my guests are not welcome. It takes serious courage to share your story with the world, so if you're tempted to negatively comment about someone else's story, please ask your therapist why you're such a garbage person. Save the drama for the stage. On that happy note, I hope you'll tune in next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. Bye! Bye!